Welcome back, everyone, to Your Life, God's Word, where we take the principles found in Scripture and we apply them to our everyday lives, those areas that are most important, faith, family, and community. What's up? Welcome, everybody. This is our 150th episode. Um, Glad you could make it here and so glad that we've made it through um, to this milestone. This is, uh, for this channel, anyway, it's a... A big milestone, you know. One of these days, it'd be awesome when we're on, you know, like episode 1,000 or something. But we'll have to get through 150 to get to a thousand, I suppose. And um, it is a big milestone for us. Again, a lot of podcasts start and uh, stop after, you know, maybe a few dozen episodes, just because the momentum. You know, it's hard to keep that momentum going. It's hard to keep um, that consistency. And we are so thankful. Uh, for every one of you watching, listening, hopefully growing in your walk with God, growing in knowledge, uh, growing in, in life by applying uh, God's principles to your life. Um, we have a uh, kind of a kind of an announcement this this time around <laughs> that I want to get to. and we have uh, a, a second one that is coming. we, the timing of it, I was hoping that we would be in a place where we can get started or at least have something uh, locked in and ready to go on this 150th episode, but it's not locked in just yet. And so instead of two announcements, we have one, and that second one, you just have to keep keep listening, keep watching, just, just hanging it out there. Um, and maybe in the next, uh, if, I, if I'm, tr- I'm trying to be conservative, with the with the estimate here <laughs> i would say sometime maybe in the next 10 episodes we'll have uh, we'll have that announcement and be ready to do it but um for now i want to announce something that it's been on my heart for a while to uh start looking at materials and specifically um books that apply to life, apply to our lives, and doing kind of a book review, but I don't want somebody to be like, oh, yawn fest. (laughs) This isn't a book review channel. It's a, here's important things going on that people are writing about or have written about in the past that directly impact our lives, and they have a significant kingdom um, relation or kingdom impact. Uh, I, I think a lot of people just don't have time to, say, read through a book, even though it's a really good book and something that we all should be taking in and considering. Um, maybe it's something that really helps us build ourselves as an individual or our prayer life or really great insights into, I don't know, something like eschatology or whatever. But it's just a lot of material and a lot to get through. And we'd rather watch, a you know, again, a 60-second YouTube uh, video or listen to a five-minute podcast, but sometimes the well, sometimes a lot of times the reason getting through a 400-page book is better is because you have a lot more laid-out detail, hopefully like references and citations that you can go back and say, well, is this even well sourced? Is this just all coming from this person's opinion? Um, and so I I read uh, a lot and I. Uh, listen to books on like say audible and stuff and I listen to a lot of podcasts and YouTube videos and things and I'm just like there are some there are just some great materials out there that tie into 
uh, the growth and I would say spiritual development of men and women uh, out there. And yet they may not have time to get through, or may not even know about this incredible work. So I would like to begin doing this. Not every episode, not we're not turning the you know the entire podcast into into a uh, we're going to revolve it around books that are written, but it's something I want to start incorporating, and we want to start actually with a book. This book, oops. Well, for those listening on the podcast, nothing is happening right now. But uh, for those <laughs> for those on, watching on YouTube, there we go. I'm going to try. I'm going to figure out how to get this on the uh, so you can actually see it. But this is a good book. It's it's by uh, it's by Gary Chapman. It's called The Four Seasons of Marriage. This is the first one we're going to do, and the reason for that is because in our local assembly, we are actually the month of February. We're dedicating to uh, growing um, our knowledge and understanding of the biblical family, uh, parents, wives, husbands. Uh, what is what is that picture? What does it look like in in Scripture in the mind of God? who actually created everything and created the family, which is the first institution he ever created. And uh, uh, in the earth, obviously. We're not talking about the family precedes the kingdom of God or anything like that. But, you know, in the earth, the institution that he created was the family. It is the benchmark of society. It is the bedrock of society. And if that bedrock slips, your entire society is going to crumble. Um, and so... We've dedicated an entire month to this in the local assembly. Wednesday evenings, we are going through this book, just kind of you know through the chapters, through the um, the study guide, asking questions, discussing, and then on Sundays we are focusing the preaching and teaching on the scriptural idea and understanding of what is the family, what it's about, and all of that. So I felt it was appropriate for the first book that we do this. Uh, with to be this one. It's not because this is the most important work out there of all time or anything, but it fits. And uh, I like Gary Chapman's book. You might know his name or you might know his his probably more famous book, The Five Love Languages. One of these days, maybe we'll go through that. That's a great one as well, talking about how we um, communicate love and receive love. Um, but this one is a fantastic read for anyone who wants to grow and develop in their in their marriage. And again, we should all want to grow and develop in our marriage because marriage is it. <laughs> like that a family is the most important institution that anyone could ever come up with. And uh, God ordained it, and the fundamental starting place of a family is a man and a woman coming together in covenant. Uh, we call that marriage. And so I'm going to kick things off with this. During this uh, several weeks or however long we, um, we go on with this book, I'll be incorporating some of the things that the different pastors are going to be talking about in the Sunday, um, you know, kind of teaching and preaching as well. So it won't all just be driven solely by this book. Uh, we'll be going to the scriptures for for insights into things. But today, I just want to launch it with uh, really. It, it's only the first like eight pages of the book, 
Uh, the book is about 180 or so pages, depending on how far you go into it. Oh, with a study guide, it's like over 200. But um, again, we 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 need to we need to grow and develop constantly, constantly as people. Um, there are always new attacks and new things coming at us from culture um, that we we need to know and have a grounding in the Word of God, and we need to stand for it, not just in our own, just our little family, and we're just going to keep it a secret, and really not even just within the church. The church should proclaim the truth to the world, and that's not just uh, the raw core most fundamental nature of the gospel, because the gospel is to change us to come into relationship with Christ and and help us to come into the kingdom. But then this is one of the most pivotal aspects of the kingdom, uh, coming together and raising the next generation of of, of godly uh, generation after generation, godly people. Um, and how, what are they going to do? How are they going to view marriage? How are they going to view men and women and, and children and all that? So it is uh, way up there, um, you know, far before we should get into uh, how to be blessed financially or uh, in our health or physically, which I think are important. We should know what does God say about the family, and we need to we need to make that happen in our lives. Um, as we talk through this, there will be people. Okay, we none of us are perfect, and none of us have uh, lived up to God's scriptural ideal perfectly um, in all areas of our lives. There will be people that go, oh my goodness, I did not realize that, or oh my goodness, there's things I need to change, or oh man, I, I, I'm, I'm so far down the road in the wrong direction. What does this mean for me? The church is a beacon of light. The church speaks truth. The church should have a spine of adamantium. <laughs> okay. Um, and should never waver or bend because of the, the, the nonsense of the culture. But at the same time, the church should not be mean or uh, purely ideological, meaning we shouldn't just proclaim the truth and this is what God's perfect ideal is and then move on to the next topic. We also should stop and walk with people in their journey, in their brokenness, in their hurt, here's God's ideal, and oh, look, there's a whole bunch of people that did not did not live that way. Uh, when they came into the kingdom of God, they already had all kinds of brokenness and problems in their marriage and family and doing things wrong and all that. Of course that's going to be the case. The, the church can't put blinders on and pretend everybody should just do it God's perfect way and then move on. We should say, yes, we should do it God's perfect way, and then guess what? Most of us haven't, and so let's let's uh, repent of the wrong, let's get on the right track, and let's move on from there. So we should be there to love people, and to walk with people, and to come alongside people in their journey with Christ, and in their knowledge in things like family, and child rearing, and then marriage, and all of it. And that is the tone that we are going to set right now in this entire series, however long it goes, probably at least the four um, or five podcasts of this month. Um, so again, we will talk ideal. We will talk scripture. We will not bend or try to shift and be like, well, you know, no, no, no. This is what the Bible says. This is the truth. This is what it is. And then understand, okay, here's the ideal. We're way over here. Let's walk that out. Let's heal. Let's 
change our paradigm. Let's change our mind. Let's you know heal our hearts, but not compromise God's word while we do that. So let me let me start off by saying, um, or by by sharing a couple of things in this first uh, part of the book. So I have um, uh, an actual copy of the book with me, and I'm going to share some of the things that stood out to me. I encourage you to get the book and read it yourself as well, or get it on like Audible or something to listen to it, or both. Um, but if you just don't have, again, you don't have the time or whatnot, hopefully this blesses you and helps you to get an overview and to get the meat of the book and be able to incorporate it into your life and uh, maybe not have have to have read it yourself. Um, he talks about, in the very opening, he talks about the nature of marriage. He talks about how anthropologically, right, anthropologists that study cultures, um, he says that one, one conclusive finding of the studies um, that anthropologists have done is that marriage between a man and a woman is the central social building block in every human society without exception. It's also true that monogamous lifelong marriage is the universal cultural norm, uh, end quote. So what is he saying there? That as we look across from east to west, north to south, it doesn't matter if you're in Australia, in the Congo, in South America, North America, it doesn't matter where they are looking, but the, the cultural norm, the norm for human society is that people have realized the best way to go about society is to have men and women couples that are in lifelong monogamous relationships raising children. That's the best way to do family. Um, I don't need an anthropologist to tell me that. I don't need a sociologist to tell me that. And again, we're not, again, people are going to have their feelings hurt, but let's, let's love people and help them get over their hurt feelings. Let's not bend and break the model that is the ideal and the best just because everybody doesn't have that. I know tons and tons of people, people I love dearly, good friends, family members, that this is not their reality. But again, just because somebody has a different lived experience does not mean there's not an ideal out there that we should be pushing, that we should be striving for, that we should promote and propagate, um, while also loving people that they didn't have that ideal in their home. And so there you have it. The scriptures are um, you know, very clear when it comes to uh, marriage, when it comes to men and women. And so I'm, I'm thankful for sociologists and anthropologists and stuff that come out and go, wow, you know, we're, we're looking at this stuff just across the, uh, across the spectrum here, across the world. And, um, and guess what? It's, it's the same for um, all societies. That's great. <laughs> I'm, thank, thank you. But I don't need to go any deeper than the Word of God to know that that's true and was stated a long time ago. Um, something else he says right here in the first little bit. 
Um, so he says, in fact, in spite of the widespread acceptance of divorce in the United States over the past 40 years, a recent poll of never married singles ages 20 to 30 indicates that 87% plan to marry only once. So even in modern society, um, in, in polling, uh, folks that are unmarried, again, in their, you know, say 20s and 30s, they say that they want to marry just one time. They, they don't want to have multiple marriages. They, they want to make it a lifelong thing. 87% feel that way. So even with all of the push, all the court, cultural decay, it still hasn't really effectively eroded and certainly not erased the standard that is put forth in Scripture. People just have, they, they realize, they can see the benefit of one man, one woman for life. Now, God, in Genesis chapter 1, you don't even get one or two chapters in Genesis, and we know this. In Genesis 1, chapter uh, chapter 1, verse 27, says this, So God created man in his own image, in the image of God he created him. Male and female, he created them. So right away we feel like, we feel like we know that God created males and females complementary, okay, to complement one another as a pair and a couple, and that couple can procreate and raise up the next generation. Now, just because we have abominations in our society that tries to distort this, destroy this, make this so well, you don't really, it doesn't matter that there are there are um, uh, people out there trying to break this down or try to do it in a different way. It doesn't stop the fact that this is the way, okay? And we can do a thought experiment real quick. Um, and I, this isn't original with me. I think I heard this from a guy named Matt Walsh. Um, he is a commentator and stuff on the uh, Daily Wire, but I, he was um, on Joe Rogan's podcast, and they were discussing some things. And I heard this uh, analogy, and I was like, that is awesome. So it's not original to me, but I definitely am going to use it because it's great. And he said, basically, you know, if we all went to sleep tonight, woke up tomorrow, we all have amnesia, um, you know, it wouldn't be too too difficult pretty soon we would we would realize that there are certain couplings of people that are able to procreate and have children and and other types of couplings just can't pretty simple um, I would take that even further and he probably would too I think the discussion was specifically you know in a certain direction so that's all he focused on but think about it if we all woke up with amnesia tomorrow we didn't know we didn't even know what the man the word man meant we didn't even know that word we didn't know anything about husbands or wives or you know, exploring your sexuality or any of this stuff. We just woke up and said, oh my goodness, how are we going to keep society going? We would we would come up with some term, but we would notice there are two types of people. There is this kind and there is that kind. Okay? Now, maybe we would come up with the words male and female. I don't, I don't know. Maybe we would read some books and go, oh, look, people, people call them male and female. But we would notice... There's a difference. We would notice there's only two, unless there's some kind of defect or strange, uh, you know, anomaly. 
we would notice that only these two can procreate. And therefore, there should be special honor given to when people do this, we are continuing on the next generation. They are able to have, you know, create a new life, a new, a new born baby into the world. And so we would bear out pretty quickly what Genesis 127 says, right? Male and female, he created them. <laughs> Easy. We would also, um, we would also most likely, again, in an effort to continue the society, in an effort to make sure that we we survive as a species, we would put special honor on this relationship. It would have a special name. Maybe we would call it something like marriage. I don't know. Um, but other types of relationships, they don't get together and have kids. And maybe we would call that something else. Um, oh, these, you know, these... This, this is just a friendship over here. That's a, you know, these these folks are business associates or whatever. But this right here, when a, a man and a woman get together, they have children. And that's good for society and culture and all of this. And we're going to put special honor on that. But then, you know, 2,000 years later, we'd be destroying that um, that institution because we'd probably rapidly go down into a cesspool like we've already done in our society. So anyway, not trying to get onto a tangent there, but it again it's just a natural it's a natural observation and yet right here in genesis we don't have to do a sociological study we don't need an anthropological study it's right here and uh then of course he he uh he <laughs> genesis goes on into a chapter two and it talks about how the lord saw that you know, the man did not have a, um, a a couple, a coupling for him. Uh, he didn't have someone that was suitable as a uh, as a partner. And so the Bible says, the Lord God, this is verse 18 of chapter 2, the Lord God said, it's not good that a man should be alone. I'll make a helper fit for him. Right? And then it goes on and says, that the Lord, in verse 21, caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man. And while he, while he slept, he took one of his ribs and closed up its place with flesh. And the rib that the Lord God had taken from the man, he made into a woman and brought her to the man. Then the man said, this is at last bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She should be called woman because she has taken out of man. And then it says, and therefore a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife and they shall become one flesh. They are coupled together in an institution we call marriage, and it is a covenant relationship for life. That is it. And then, of course, we see that studies have shown this is what's best for society. 87% uh, of people polled in this poll, uh, even in their 20s and 30s, still see that that is the best. And then later on in the next uh, couple of pages, he actually talks about how it's a, um, again, through studies and, and looking at things like sociology and anthropology, that the best atmosphere for children to be raised up is when you have a mother and a father together in a home, lifelong, with the stability 
okay, with the um, emotional and support structure there for those children. That is the best. Now, is everyone does everyone happen that way? No, but should we say, well, because everybody doesn't experience that, we're not going to say that's the best. No, that's foolish. In fact, let me go back in that poll. One of the reasons cited for these 20s and 30s, you know, people, uh, people in their 20s and 30s saying they want to have one, um, one marriage and uh, make it, you know, for life, marry only once. Many of these people have seen their parents divorce, and that's not what they want for themselves. Well, wait a minute. If, if there's no big deal, you know, this is, these are some of the lies that were told in society, which, of course, anybody just looking around objectively knows it's a total lie and a total fraud. But people try to propagate this stuff. Oh, it doesn't matter. It, it's no big deal, especially if the kids are young. No, they're scarred for life. Um, there are wounds that are... Uh, they go very deep. Even when you're when a child is five or six years old, they have their mom and dad separated. Even if it's a quote unquote friendly separation or whatever, there it is un. <sighs> Folks, again, maybe when we were getting into the no fault divorce and it was first coming out, maybe there were arguments to be made that it's not. You know, but but forty years, fifty years of this, there is. No way you can argue. No, our society is way better for it. Absolutely not. Our society has been trashed because of it. We need to get back to a society that values and honors when people stay together for life. They work through troubles. They work through problems. They overcome obstacles. And they work it out. And they work together. And they treat marriage as a covenant, which it is. And that is what we need to get back to. And then the people that have not experienced that, guess what? We love them. We help them. We, uh, we are there for them. But we push the ideal. One man, one woman, for life, that's marriage, and that's the only thing that marriage is. So that's really what we should be doing. Now, the church has been silent, unfortunately. Not the entire church. There's lots of people that have not been silent. But for the last you know, 30, 40 years, I don't know where everybody was. Where were all the Christians? I think they were in caves waiting for Jesus to come back. And guess what? We're all still here. So maybe now we should wake up and uh, get get out of our cave, put on our sunglasses, you know, get out of the cave a little bit, and get back into society and have an impact in society. Because frankly, I don't want to live in hell until Jesus comes and we get to go to quote-unquote heaven. Um, that may not be for 5,000 more years. I don't know how, I don't know when it is, and neither do you, and neither do any of these boneheads who write these books um, that usually need to be updated, right? Every decade or so after they, they're totally dead wrong about their predictions. And then people keep following them. Folks, I'm not going to name names right now. One of these days I'll do something on eschatology, and we will. We'll start calling some of these boneheads out. Um, but folks, I'm sorry. You know, I call them boneheads, not because they do a wrong prediction. There's nothing wrong with predicting something and be like, man, I got that wrong. Come out and say you got it wrong. And man, you didn't know what you were talking about. Maybe there's other options out there, but instead they'll just come out and just change their materials and maybe not even say anything. Revised edition. What was revised? Well, don't worry about it. Just buy the new book. And these guys sometimes make millions of dollars on the backs of people who are just concerned and just 
want to know and shame on them for doing that. Um, shame on them. Playing on the ignorance and fears of people to make money and tell them lies. Um, so, so again, what if Jesus doesn't come back for another thousand years or another five thousand years? What kind of world do we want this to be? Do we want all? Do we want it to be a total cesspool, a cesspool of uh, of satanic and uh, paganism? And uh, is that what we want? Or should the church be out there as a massive influence? A mass. And I'm not talking about going to war and killing people, and I'm talking about just a massive influence by doing what we do by living godly principles. You know, the divorce rate in churches, for instance, is not much different than the divorce rate outside of churches. You know what that tells me? That tells me that the culture inside of churches is about the same as the culture outside of churches. Do you know what that further tells me? If the culture of a church isn't much different than the culture outside the church, that's no church. <laughs> Quit calling yourself a church. It's an abomination to call yourself something that you're actually not when God was the one who established that thing you're calling yourself. Um, no, the church, is the, uh, a real church, the ecclesia, the real church that Jesus established doesn't look anything like the world. We, we, we shouldn't have the mindsets of the world, the ideologies of the world, the thought processes. Our hearts, our minds, our actions should be enough, our character. They shouldn't be anything like the world. When people come into a, ch a, a real church and they see the atmosphere in there, um, yes, they're going to notice that, yeah, there's people in here that aren't living up to the standard and the ideal um, because they're on their journey, they're on their way, they're growing, they're developing, but... There is a goal, and this is what we're this is what we're pushing here. This is what we're peddling here. It's not come and be uh, whatever you want to be. Come and don't really change much, but Jesus loves you. And by the way, don't forget to pass the plate, throw some money in there, and be here next Sunday. It's ridiculous. It's disgusting. It's an abomination. And what we need is we need churches to quit hiding in caves, and we need churches to quit being just a worldly institution that sings songs about Jesus and actually has an impact in the world, and then we'll see the change that we need. Because if we want to change the world, it starts individually, and then that first institution, the family, it needs to change drastically, radically. It doesn't need to change into something that's not in the Bible and not God. It just needs to change back to the ideal that God has. Our tax code, for instance, our tax code should reflect a desire to have men and women paired up for life, raising their children. The best tax breaks. Here, here's this is what I'm talking about. How Christians can influence society. The best tax breaks should be for households that want to have a mother at home, raising their children, like the Bible talks about, and the man out there working hard to provide for his family. Those are the people that maybe shouldn't be paying taxes at all. Wouldn't it be great to have a tax credit? Hey, your wife. You are providing your single, um, you're a single earner household with a man and a woman married and raising children. We're not going to tax you at all. We don't even want you to pay taxes, okay? Because you're doing your part. How about something like that? Now, again, we could build that out. Let's flesh that out. What about this? What about that? What about exceptions here? I'm just saying as a basic framework, that's the direction we should be leaning in. Instead, we lean in a direction that households that are broken up, 
with single parents in the in the home with tons of children that's who gets the tax breaks that's the dumbest thing i've ever heard in my life no not the dumbest <laughs> i've heard a lot dumber things but that is one of the most stupid cultural we are literally giving incentives and again you can listen to larry elder he's a um he's awesome um, and you can't say he's racist. He's a black dude. Well, I guess you can. People do say he's racist. He's the the black face of, of white racism, which, of course, is nonsensical. Um, these are the people that see the racist boogeyman under every corner, under every rock, right? Oh, no, racism hiding under the rock. Um, but anyway, he's a black dude. He's awesome. He uh, ran for uh, governor in California, and they voted in Newsom again. Whatever. I don't live in California. Y'all have at it. <laughs> but, um, and he makes, I mean, he's very big on research and he's a political commentator, but he talks about in the 60s and 70s how the government came in, knocked on the doors and basically said, hey, if you're a two, if you're a two couple household in here, we're not helping you out. But if the, if the men, if the men uh, are not in this home, then we'll give you, you know, we'll give you help. We'll give you money. We'll give you welfare and all this stuff. And he, again, makes a very strong case, and I think he's absolutely correct, that what they did with the Great Society and all these programs and all this stuff, all they did is break up. They, they gave incentives to break up families. They gave incentives to destroy the bedrock of society. And then is it any is it any you know uh, wonder that our society is all jacked up now, right? It's not. And again... Why is that the case? Because the bedrock of society, it doesn't matter how smart you think you are, how tech, how much technology you think you have, or how modern you are. The bedrock of society hasn't changed in 2,000 years. It hasn't changed in 5,000 years. It hasn't changed in 10,000 years, however old humanity is. I, you know, I don't really know. Um, I think somebody else can have that debate. Is it 4,000 years, 10,000 years? How long? I don't really know. Um, but what I do know is this, we need to give incentives and this is how Christians, again, real Christians, I'm not talking about poly, politic Christians. That's the politics Christian, right? The one that they're, they're Christian when they're in a church and people, and they want their votes. But then when you go and you see what they're doing and saying and the, the policies they're passing, uh, there ain't nothing Christian about them. I don't care if they're Republican, Democrat, or whatever they call themselves. Um, the Republicrats. Um, so again, I'm not for or against political parties. I'm for and against um, things that God is for and against. And if a political party lines up more with God, that's the political party. I'm gonna I'm gonna say, hey, let, let's go with those good things. And then when they don't, I'll, I'll switch because I don't vote an R or a D or an I or whatever. I vote who's the closest, at least to God based on the highest priorities. And of course, highest priorities are things like life first and then family, okay? And then once we get those straight, okay, let's let's argue about tax policy. Let's argue foreign policy. Great. Let's do that. Um, but we need to get first things first. And so far right now there's a there there are certain politicians um, that get the first two right, and those are the ones that we should support as Christians. In fact, as Christians, why not get into politics and we can help change and shape the laws? And again, one of the things we should be shaping and changing is that we should be pushing for God's ideal in our society when it comes to marriage. 
and family because that is the bedrock of society. And you can you can take it to the bank. If you break that up and you destroy that, your society is going to crumble and it's going to be destroyed. That doesn't mean there's no more United States of America. Um, just like Rome is still there. There's still a Rome on the map. But the Rome on the map is not even a fraction of a vapor of a shadow of what the Roman Empire used to be. Okay? So the United States can exist, but then just be a, a fraction of a vapor of a shadow of what it once was. And I want the blessings of God on this country. I want God to bless us and keep us and help us. And so there's a lot of things we need to change. But um, let's not start with the smaller stuff. Let's start with the big stuff and get that right. So here we go. Uh, he goes on to say, a marriage is not simply a relationship. It's an intimate relationship that encompasses all aspects of life, intellectual, emotional, social, spiritual, and physical. Okay. Usually when people think intimacy, it's only the last one they think about, the physical. But intimacy is a deep right inter like a, a, a an interconnection being woven together intellectual when you're connecting deeply intellectually or emotionally um, with no physical aspect to it at all it's that is intimacy right again this is how we can say we have intimacy with god um, there's nothing physical about it but we have this emotional and spiritual connection with god and it's an intimate connection so again, we need to get our minds straight sometimes and realize that intimacy is what is required in marriage, and that doesn't just mean we're really physical. That means we really connect with our spouse on these different ways. And look, I'm not perfect with this. I'm reading this book going, man, I, I need to change some stuff up in here, bro. But that's the point. We, we learn, we grow, and we develop. We change for the better. Let's get better. Next year, if we're doing something like this again, maybe with another book, let's let's have grown from this one and then get even better. And people out there that are single that might want to be married one day, uh, books like this are very important, um, things like this that we're doing over the month of February, so that you know what to look for. You know you have the tools and the capability of doing it right once. <laughs> and if you're single because you've been part of a divorce... Listen, my heart goes out to you. I've walked with people through that and um, it multiple and spent hours on the phone and counseling and crying with people and loving people and walking with them through these painful times. Don't don't do that again. Don't don't have another painful experience because you just want to you're 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 alone and you're and you're lonely and you're you know you're and so you're I'm just gonna jump into something again. No, do it right this time, you know? That's the whole point, is getting better and better. And better defined by uh, more in God's camp. So it talks about how marriage is a purposeful relationship, and he goes on to describe these uh, the essential nature of marriage. He goes on to describe these, these um, five different things. Pur purposeful is one of them. But he talks about committed, commitment. And I would say, look, when you are at the altar and you commit to a covenant relationship with, a, with your spouse— that means divorce is off the table. It's not even a thing. It doesn't exist. It's not an option. Okay? That's the way our brains should be should be thinking about it. It shouldn't be like, well, if it doesn't work out, there's always... No, there is no, it's not going to work out. It is going to work out. And so we need to make sure before we get married, that's how we're thinking. 
Um, we'll get into more of this in our mindset toward marriage, but marriage is about the other person. We should get married saying, I choose to love, because love is not an emotion. I choose to love this person. I'm going to love them the best I can, even if they're, for some reason, not reciprocating. I'm going to love them anyway. And if I have to spend half my life in a marriage just loving on them while they don't reciprocate, so be it. That, I mean, again, that's the kind of thing that are you sure you want to do that? Are you sure you want to commit to that? Now, again, if both people are committed to that, you're going to have an amazing marriage. Um, there's no there's, there's no question about it. But, of course, there are times and seasons, four seasons of marriage. There are times we, we move in and out of different seasons or maybe we're you know going through something circumstantially. Um, but if we are committed and we have divorce off the table and breaking up our family off the table, it's a much more stable environment, even to have a disagreement or an argument in. If you can have an argument with your spouse, but you know there, there's not even a hint of maybe we're going to the courthouse to end this thing, it, it's a healthier environment to have disagreements. Um, second is united, the, the essential nature of marriage. He's committed, united, right? We're in this together. We're not two people, just root, kind of roommates that happen to be, you know, in a contractual relationship or something. No, we are united. Of course, then he says intimate, and we describe what that is, all aspects, right? Intellectual, social, emotional, all of it, and physical, all of it. It's purposeful. This is something that, again, a lot of people just survive. We just raise our kids. We send them off to school. We hope that, you know, maybe we'll push them a little bit in, in a certain direction with education or work or whatever, but we just kind of just float along. Why not have a generational mindset? I want to launch my kids. I want them here. I want to be able to provide this. I want to set up ways that even my grandchildren, great-grandchildren, great-great-grandchildren, that we set up a lineage. We set up, again, I'm not talking about king building or anything like that. I'm talking about purpose purpose. We are going to purposeful, purposefully, purpose, <laughs> purposefully um, do learning and growth and development, Bible study and prayer and stuff with our children in the home so that when they get to be teenagers, they're already used to this. When they're adults, they're already used to this. When they start teaching their kids, we're going to, as grandparents, let's have everybody over and let's do Bible study together and then encourage our, our children. Hey, remember how we used to do with you guys? Do this with the grandkids. Here's a little kid's Bible. They're only six and seven years old. Here you go. Let's start reading, right? That's purposeful. That's not just, here you go, just I'm floating along on a raft in the middle of the sea. Hope it all works out, which is how most people do it. Um, and then lastly, so there's committed, united, intimate, purposeful, and then there's complementary. And this is where it gets into, I will make a helper suited for him, which is what Genesis says. We are complementary. We are different. Men and women are different. Oh my goodness, right? Earth shattering, right? Just earth, oh my goodness, world breaking news. Men and women are different. Um, for some people, people unfortunately, that is breaking news. Um, but we are different and we're meant to be different. And there's beauty and truth in the differences. Men have a purpose, women have a purpose. All right, and I, I joked around our last, our last meeting. I said, if you don't believe that men and women are different, you know, just naturally and genetically, um, afterwards we'll have a push-up contest. And I said, I'm willing to bet hundred bucks or whatever. The top ten people in here are going to be dudes. 
Okay, <laughs> it doesn't matter if they work out or not. We're going to do push-ups. We're going to do men's push-ups. Okay, real push-ups. We're going to see how, how it turns out. Well, why is that? Because of the patriarchy. No, because men in general are stronger, faster, bigger than women. Okay? Guess what? Women in general, this does not mean that a man cannot connect with, with his children emotionally. and But women in general, they're more adept at connecting uh, in an emotional way with people, at nurturing. I try to be, you know, uh, with my kids, loving and just, you know, but my wife is so much better at it than me. Um, that's great. It should be that way. That's awesome. We complement one another. If I didn't need her, why do I need to be married? If she doesn't need me, why do I need to be married? God made it so these two shall become one flesh. The two, the pair, make a full household without one or the other. I don't care if you have two dudes in the household, you're missing something. First, you're missing out on, uh, that's not how God set it up. But second, it doesn't matter. You're missing that female intuition the female natural nurturing. Can we try to duplicate it? Can we try to mimic it? Sure, but it's not the same. It's just not the same. Okay. You ever gone to a restaurant and they changed the? Uh, they ch <laughs> me and my wife went to a restaurant recently and they absolutely changed the bread at this restaurant. They put out these rolls and they're delicious. And just thinking about it makes me want to go. <laughs> but the last time we went, they changed the recipe. And they probably, I mean, they probably tried to keep it. They tried to mimic it. They and they were, I mean, they were decent, but they just weren't the same. And you know what I'm talking about. And I know what I'm talking about. And everybody listening to this knows what I'm talking about. And you can't duplicate that nurturing that a mother gives to her child. You cannot. An android can't duplicate it. A nanny can't duplicate it. A Even the father can't duplicate it. So why would we try? Why don't we just do it God's way and raise up our children the way God said to do it? Now, what if a father dies unexpectedly? Are the, are, is the family doomed? No. No. And that's why. There are exceptions. There are ways to—it wasn't the ideal, but there are ways to mitigate the damage. There are ways to get in there and help. But because—just because there are exceptions or times when you have to work through and mitigate— the problems when the ideal can't be done doesn't mean we shouldn't push, propagate, um, put the put the ideal out there as this is the best. This is the best of the best. Um, just because every runner can't be the number one gold medal winner doesn't mean that every other runner should just give up and not run. Okay? So, again, there's an ideal, and we should strive for that, and of course— in a race, there's only one person getting the gold. But in this, there are lots of people who can live the ideal. So those are kind of the, the five essential um, components of, of, uh, of marriage. And then he talks about adapting to changes and how change is going to happen and circumstances are going to happen. And um, we, we will have this. There, there are going to be circumstances outside of your control. There are going to be ch changes that happen. Just naturally, there are changes that happen. Um, after a, um, a couple's been together for 20 years, you know, maybe he was a young stud and, you know, just 
it, you know, just into sports and all this stuff. And then guess what? Over time, he had children, and he's not hitting the gym as much because he's got his priorities where his kids are the first thing. And so he's not going off and playing basketball four times a week. He's spending time with his wife and his children, and maybe he's not as athletic as he used to be. Maybe he's not as you know ripped and tight and all that as he used to be. A, a woman's ha- had two children, three children, four children. Dude, she's not going to be the exact same post-kids as pre-kids. It, it, that's just not a reality, okay? Um, what's wrong with that? Nothing. There's beauty in the change. There's a deeper relationship when you're too young, you know, early 20s, no kids. Your your relationship is different than when you're 70 years old. If it's not, there's something wrong with you, <laughs> okay? There's a maturity and a growth. At first, maybe there's not as much intellectual and, you know, social um, kind of connection. Maybe it's mostly em- emotional, like chemistry and physical or whatever when you get married. But uh, over time, you become these deep, it should become right deeper friends and you know each other and they're like your bestie after a while. And that, again, there's a gradual maturing that happens and changing that happens. So there's that kind of change. And then there's the kind of change where uh, uh, now there's a child in the mix. Folks, be ready. Things change. A couple of kids in the mix. Things change, okay? <laughs> or out of nowhere, something strikes, hits the home. It's a it's a challenge. It's a hurdle. Something we have to get over. But he's got this little like kind of like a formula in the uh, in the latter part of this, and it says emotions moderated by reason, guided by truth equals constructive action. Emotions moderated by reason. Guided by truth equals constructive action. So our actions are really the most readily controllable thing that we have, right? We have beliefs, we have emotions, we have outside circumstances and changes that happen. Um, we can change our beliefs, but most people are a product, at least initially, of just kind of what's pumped into you, right? If uh, And I use this example with our folks and I'm going to give it to us. If if you take two people that are legitimate Christians, they are disciples of Jesus Christ, but one of them has has a steady diet, has grown up, you know, watching Netflix and Hulu, and they've got a lot of the you know TV shows and movies and and ideology and things of the world, right? The thinking of the world that's kind of gone into them. The other person ha- doesn't do any of that. They they don't have any. There's no Hollywood influence in them whatsoever. Okay. Just take those two people. The way they approach things, the way they think about things, their beliefs about things, quite possibly are going to be different. (laughs) Because one of them has a bunch of influences that have influenced their beliefs that might be wrong that they have to undo. The other one doesn't have that uphill battle. Right? So we... We can change our beliefs, but most people aren't intentional about that. Most people don't think, hmm, what beliefs do I have that are wrong? What beliefs do I have that need to be challenged? When's the last time I you know, had this core belief right here and I challenged it and went and studied it over again? Most people don't do that. And so the most readily changeable thing or controllable thing is our action. We might have a thought. We might have a belief, right? Let's say we get in a, in a, in a spat with our wife and we have a thought to say something nasty. And we even believe we have the right to say this. I can say this right now. I should say this right now. 
but then we stop and we don't say it. Don't say that hurtful thing, right? Because later you're going to say, I didn't mean that. I didn't mean to say that. Yeah, you did. <laughs> you liar. Just say, sorry, I shouldn't have said that. Um, but you meant it. There's no such thing as I didn't mean to say that. I didn't mean I didn't mean what I said. Yeah, you did. Yeah, you did. What you need to do is not blame it on some, I was out of control. There's some third party thing controlling me. No, 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 no. Just how about, I'm sorry. That was a really stupid thing to say. I'm so sorry I said that. Please forgive me. That's better than, I'm so sorry. I didn't mean that. Yes, you did mean it. Apologize. Say how dumb it was to say that. And then next time, control your tongue right? I've had to do this a bunch, okay? <laughs> I'm getting better at controlling my tongue. <laughs> um, I'm not perfect, so I still have to do this. But um, emotions is where he starts. Emotions are legitimate. Emotions are real. We shouldn't try to clamp down and not have emotions. We, we're not going gonna to fail at that anyway. Yes, we have emotion. Yes, it's real. Yes, somebody does actually feel a certain way. If somebody says like, oh, I feel like we never go out and we never do anything, we never spend any quality time. And then somebody goes and says, wait a minute, we just, you know, three days ago we went and did this together and then a week and a half ago we did this together. Okay, the reality is, no, we do spend time. But the reality is also, for whatever reason, that person is feeling like we're not spending time. So instead of trying to argue about the facts and the reality, the emotion versus the reason, the best course of action. This has taken me a long time to figure this out. <laughs> the best course of action is to say, yes, those feelings are real. The underlying reason may not be true. We just went out last night for three hours and had great conversation, but, but, but what is real? Something has happened. Something is going on. Something in their heart, their mind, something, they're struggling with something, something, some challenge, some stress, something. Maybe last night wasn't enough. They, we need another date night tonight. That's what we need to get at. What's making you feel that way, honey? Why do you feel that way, babe? Gosh, I'm sorry you feel that way. That's terrible. Not, what do you mean? That's ridiculous. We went out last night. That's what I want to do. And that's what gets me in trouble. Because the feelings are legitimate. The underlying reason may not be. It may or may not be. But the feeling is legitimate. Let's figure out, let's, let's start from there and then work our way. Emotions moderated by reason. So once we get the emotional down, once we figure out why we're feeling that way, maybe that extra hug is all that's needed. Okay? And then once we're thinking rational, maybe we could say, now, honey, you, know, you said that. Was that just because you were feeling kind of put off, feeling, you know, feeling some kind of way? And, but, I mean, do you really think that we haven't done anything yet? And a lot of times, once we get that emotions kind of down, the feeling is is, is um, not shoved aside, it is addressed, it is uh, given its proper due, then most people can think rationally and go, yeah, you know, I mean, we have, you know, gone out and spent $8,000 in the last two weeks. You know, it's, it, it, that's the kind of thing that we need to do. Emotions guided by reason, right? Or I'm sorry, moderated by reason, guided by truth. Now here, what truth? The truth of God's word is the best truth. I'm just going to say it flatly. The truth of God's word, use that as the benchmark. That's the best truth because we can go to the word of God and we can discuss it. It's right there. God has revealed his word to us. We don't have to worry about this truth, that truth. That's the best place to start. Now, there are truths that perhaps the word of God does not directly address. It might indirectly address things like biblical principles on, say, finances or whatever, but it's not going to 
it's not going to specifically address your spending habits. So we go to the scriptures, we say, hey, this is the general principle when it comes to finances. Now let's go look at our bank account and how do we apply that. But the truth that we should be using to guide us is the truth of the revealed word of God that is the Holy Scriptures. And if we have those things aligned, our emotions that we're not trying to shove down and try and act like, oh, that's ridiculous, but we are letting those emotions be moderated by reason and guided by God's truth, things that are actual, then what can we do? We can have constructive action. Constructive action. Just acting could be destructive, but if we have reason, truth, emotions, all working toward it, we can have constructive action. And that's Things like reading this book, getting in the scriptures, talking, going to a group, right? This is why, again, like a local fellowship and a church is so important because you have people there that you can go, you can you can trust, you can um, have that mutual uh, service and uh, mutual love and affection toward one another and learn from one another and grow together. And again, that's why things like that are so important. Um, that's why support structures are so important, right? Family, good, I would say, godly friends, uh, and not just, oh, yeah, he's a good guy. He believes in God. No. Or not even, oh, yeah, he attends church. No. I mean godly, like scripturally defined godly. Those are the best friends to have, people that have a knowledge of Scripture, and they're prayerful, and they, 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 they know and want to see the heart and mind of God, his principles. Um, and if you don't have somebody like that, well, pray and seek out somebody like that. Um, that's that's the way to go. So that's where I'm, I'm going to drop it right here this time. Um, we will pick it back up, start talking through some of the, um, the various um, components because he goes into now the different seasons and describes the different seasons in the book. Uh, he starts with winter, goes on to uh, spring, summer, and fall, and talks about these in the context of... Um, our marriage and what those mean. So we'll talk through that because people need to understand it's not always just super, just floating on cloud nine and, you know, it's all chemistry and it's not always like that. There's times where we go through seasons and then in the next uh, section, he then goes through strategies, how to move from the seasons that are less desirable and get into the seasons that are desirable. And the other benefit of that is if you're already in a desirable season, you're having a great marriage. You're, you're, you're five years in, 10 years in, 50 years in, and you have you have a great marriage. Let's make it even better. Are you saying you have the best marriage you could possibly have? Most people would be honest and say, well, I'm sure there's ways to make it better. Okay, that's, the, that's what we're shooting for. So I hope this has helped. I hope folks are encouraged and excited about doing some of this kind of thing, getting in there with the practical things of life, taking the principles of God's word and really just laser focus on a specific topic, even using specific materials that you can go and um, avail yourself of as well. And again, there's no uh, you know, special endorsement or sponsorship or anything. You know, Gary Chapman didn't call me up and be like, hey, can I get on your podcast? Nothing like that. Although I'm sure I'd happy to have him on, on the podcast and talk through you know some of his book and stuff as we've done with others before. But um, anyway, just so you know, this is just something that uh, has been on my heart to help people and grow people in the kingdom of God. 
And so I hope you've enjoyed this uh, 150th episode. I am excited about the next announcement coming out. Hopefully in the next, you know, 10, 12 episodes, something like that will have it. I hope so set up and ready to go. But love you. God bless you. And we will catch you on the next podcast.